Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're speaking with my new friend from down in Nashville, Carolyn Nafee, the co-founder and executive director of the Nashville IDD Housing Group. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Hacky. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thank you for being with us. Why don't you introduce yourself to our Different Brains crowd here? Um, you want my name or you want my work? I think you want our work. I want the whole thing. I want your name, what you do. Introduce yourself. Um, we started. I started my work here in Nashville three years ago when I moved to open the regional office of the Pujols Family Foundation. Albert Pujols, the baseball player, big hitter, um, has a daughter with Down syndrome, and his foundation works with Down syndrome and with the poor in the Dominican Republic. So my work here focused on Down syndrome, and one of my instructions was to see if there were any needs in the community that were not being met by the other nonprofits. So in addition to our regular programming, I met with all of the other nonprofits and learned about what they were doing, and the one need not being met by any of them was in the provision of housing for people over the age of 22. So I started with a with a friend, a divinity school professor here at Vanderbilt. We were both very um, concerned about this lack of housing that was being made available to people from ordinary families. And we started a grassroots group to see, was there any possible way that we could possibly make a dent in this problem? And we started with 20 families, and it just kind of mushroomed from there. Um, about a year ago, I parted ways with the foundation because the work had really grown past its mandate. The work was for Down syndrome for the foundation, and our work has never been in the housing group specifically for Down syndrome. It's been for all intellectual and or developmental disabilities. So there was um, a, not a good match anymore. So they let me take that part of the work with me, and we started a new 501c3 last summer uh, in June. Now, tell us some of the different types of neurodiversity and handicaps and challenges and unique abilities of the people who live in your developments there. Um, the first one that's uh, fun to talk about today is a young man named Leo. Leo's 24. He is autistic, and he has obsessive-compulsive disorder. Uh, when we met him, he was working as a uh, bag boy at Harris Teeter. He hated the work, and um, he started living with us, and we matched him up with a job coach from Best Buddies, which has recently started an employment program. And the job coach worked with him very hard. Leo really put in the time, and uh, he got an interview with the Home Depot. And the Hope Depot hired him competitively, and he had a part-time job, and his job was to help lug stuff to people's cars and to tie stuff onto the cars. He loved it. He did really well with this work, really got along with his colleagues, and his uh, supervisor started to have him train um, other workers, and uh, he was thriving. He was profiled on Fox News 17 here in Nashville on St. Patrick's Day. 
and they told his story and they said how he had been given a Homer Award, which Home Depot gives to its associates when they do well and represent the company's values. Um, what I just learned is that Atlanta, the corporate executives with the company, were so happy with Leo and so happy with the interview that he did that they presented him in person, the corporate executives, with a second Homer Award. Apparently, I think if you get three of them, you get a promotion. Wow. So in a short time, his confidence has gone through the ceiling. He is so proud of himself. His personal ambition to do a job where there was room for advancement, that was really his goal. He, he achieved that, and he's doing great. And he has autism, and he has obsessive-compulsive disorder. That's pretty good. That is great. What a great and inspiring story. One thing I liked about what you're doing there at the housing, at the Nashville IDD Housing Group, is you're bringing together people to help each other out. Could you expound upon that a little bit? Who's in the communities? Absolutely. My colleague, the Divinity School professor, his name is Yako Hammond. And Yako, when he was a professor at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, um, because he was concerned about these families and what they do with their loved ones when, when they pass away, what's available, nothing, uh, he raised with some colleagues some money, and they built a big house where they uh, house seminarians and eight young uh, men with uh, intellectual disabilities. And the ratio is three seminarians to each uh, person with a uh, disability, and they accommodate, um, therefore, what, uh, four times eight, 32 people. And that is ongoing now. A uh, colleague that he did that with there has gone to Duke and is doing a similar program there. And then here we started our program and we place um, in our first house, we have eight students, six divinity school students from Vanderbilt, and then a young married couple that's involved with the social justice program at Belmont University. And then we have three young adults. They happen to be all men and they happen to all be on the autism spectrum disorder. Uh, that's where their challenges are. And um, so we have a ratio of almost three to one. And um, the partner that we're working with uh, does the housing and we do everything else. Um, the other two young men besides Leo, uh, one is uh, in a post-secondary program at Lipscomb University. He works on the grounds crew at Lipscomb. He volunteers at his church. And then what he himself is most uh, proud of is he is a captain with the Civil Air Patrol, which is the Air Force uh, Civil Auxiliary Group here in Nashville. And then Stephen, he works at, he attended the Next Steps program at Vanderbilt, their post-secondary program. He works at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center as a research analyst. He volunteers with Saddle Up, the therapeutic horseback riding place for people with disabilities. And he also volunteers with Gigi's Playhouse, which is a place for uh, folks with Down syndrome, um, different activities. Um, and he's just totally involved in the community. So all three of them work that's a requirement to live with us and then they interact with the students on a daily basis they have a communal supper once a week um, Alex one of the divinity school students and Leo play chess uh, two or three times a week uh, Leo's much better than Alex um, Leo wanted to go to some kind of uh, car show 
in uh, Chattanooga this weekend called Bugapalooza, and Alex is going to take him because he's uh, Leo had never driven that far. Um, so the relationships are just very sweet. They grow organically, and uh, they help each other. And that's the exciting part about this program is that the students help the friends, whether that's with cooking or helping tutor with GED training or whatever the need might be. But the friends work with the students and totally transform their lives. Uh, they teach the students how to communicate better. They teach the students how to be patient. They teach the students how to live in the present. They teach them uh, how to function with a disability in our society and how you handle that and how you can thrive despite that. Um, so they really teach the students what you can do as opposed to what you can't do. Um, the Tennessee and the local paper here is going to be doing a feature on us in about a month. And they interviewed uh, most of the students and most of the friends for this piece that they're doing. And uh, one of the women students was asked by the reporter, uh, what is it that you do for the friends here? Um, have you developed any special relationships? And what do you do? And she thought about it. She's a Ph.D. candidate. And she said, well, you know, I don't really think that's the right question. I think really the right question for me would be is what do the friends do for me? And she said, I'm frequently on campus uh, with my studies late and I come home late. She said, the first person I see is Stephen. And she said, he welcomes me. He, he's happy to see me. And then he makes sure I get to my uh, door safely. He wants to make sure that I'm uh, safe and secure. And she said, I feel safe and secure with him. I feel very protected. I don't feel unsafe in our neighborhood, but having him do that for me really makes me feel comfortable. She said, that's what he does for me. Very well said. You know, you, you're talking about a triad of things here because we have the housing, we have the employment, and we have the friendship or socialization all wrapped into one. Yes. And... Uh, what caught my eye in one of the emails uh, when you and I were going back and forth earlier, Carolyn, was you said, we also require our friends to work. We don't specify the number of hours, nor whether it's for pay or volunteering, but they must have a job or responsibility of some sort outside of the home. And that last part really resonates, outside of the home. Why don't you expand if they, upon if they that? could, they would all have computer jobs. I mean, it seems like every person I've ever met, uh, especially if they're uh, on the autism spectrum, love the computer. And if they could work out of their house and telecommute and never have to interact with another person, I think most of them you know, could die happy. Um, but it sure doesn't let everybody else benefit from them. Now, how long has this... Uh has this been going on now in Nashville? Here in Nashville, uh, people started moving in last June. Uh, we were fully populated by September. There was one young man that we were trying to work with, and it didn't work. We were holding an apartment for him, and he is uh, he has autism. He has some mental health uh, challenges, and he's also transitioning transgender. And um, he just either had difficulty finding a job or wasn't as into finding a job as he needed to be. But he could not find a job of any sort volunteering. It didn't matter how many hours. We, we, 
I'm not that I'm not that familiar with transgender issues, so I had to get smart in a hurry, and I got rid of my baggage pretty quickly. And uh, there's a woman who got fired from one of the universities here. She was a soccer coach. She got fired when she came out as a lesbian, and she started a, a, a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender chamber of commerce. And they have a chamber for the GBLT community. And I didn't know that. And uh, they hooked me up. They, I had him go to a job fair. Um, she introduced me to a man that works in with Amazon, with a big fulfillment center here. He used to be a nun, this man did. And he held my hand, got me smart about transgender, told me about the employers that were sympathetic to, the, to people that were walking through this. And we still couldn't make it work. So after four months, uh, we said, we'll leave you on our waiting list, but we're not going to wait for you any longer for this, this facility. Um, so he's, he's at the top of the list for the second house. He's not yet employed, but if he gets a job by the time we open the second one in August, he'll be, he'll be able to live there. You know, I once did a webinar for the AANE, the Asperger's Autism Network, originally in New England. They've expanded it. And, uh, I believe it went to like um, eight countries and 36 states. But what was amazing to me, out of my ignorance, I guess, was um, how many of the participants, um, relatively speaking, were of, had transgender issues in the uh, Asperger's autism community. And uh, I'm not aware of any studies on the occurrence of this, but it's, it's not something I hear about rarely. You know? There's a woman in New Mexico who specializes in uh, intellectual disability and um, sexuality. And I've spent way more time on that topic than I would have ever thought that I'd be spending. But I have run into transgender, I have run into gay, and I have run into bisexual. So it's out there. But the big problem is because of some of the challenges that they have in communicating or whatever the challenge might be, um, they don't have as many options open to develop healthy relationships. And that's something that we're working on. We're also, I'm also working with a professor at Vanderbilt uh, to see if we can't come up with a, a support group for people that fit in this category so that they can meet other people like themselves. They can go out and have some social outings where nobody's looking at them funny. Um, and they can get support, and it can be for them, it can be for their friends and families. Um, but they need to have some healthy outlets where they can develop some healthy relationships. Otherwise, they can get into trouble on the Internet. We've had to also get smart on how to put controls on people's desktops and laptops and phones so that they don't get into trouble and advertise on Craigslist for anonymous partners. Um, that's, that's actually one of the uh, big challenges for me is getting smarter on people with autism because so many of them are, are so gifted that they uh, are able to get into way more trouble than people who, have, um, who are more challenged intellectually. Um, so that's been something I've had to get accustomed to is that this, the more able you are, the more trouble you can get into. Now let's shift gears a little bit. You're doing so many wonderful things down there in Nashville. We're speaking with Carolyn Nafee, who is the, uh, has the Nashville IDD Housing Group. And uh, I wanted to shift gears because I know it takes a lot of money to run these things. And tell us about a fundraiser you have going on. 
Uh, we have had the dickens of a time raising money. Um, we had thought our families would be uh, more invested financially in our work and in the short term and for sustainability in the long term, that's going to have to come about. But as a new nonprofit, we are ineligible for a lot of grant money that require three years of financial statements. Uh, we have not yet been a 501c3 a year, so we don't even have one uh, 990, which is what something that a, a nonprofit has to have when they when they seek money. So we started a crowdfunding campaign, and it is going slow as molasses. And we definitely need help because if we don't raise some money, we're not going to be able to continue at the same pace or hold hands with our families in the way that we're able to now and to work together to make it a success. So uh, we have a campaign on Razu, which is one of the campaign. Uh, crowdfunding campaign platforms. And our address uh, for Razu is www.razuorazoo.com slash, and then you have our acronym, which is NIDDHG, or you can just type in Nashville IDD Housing and you'll get the same place. Um, we have been so fortunate to have friends uh, record a bunch of uh, public service announcements for us. Uh, Ed Asner, the wonderful actor from the Mary Tyler Moore Show and the Lou Grant Show, seven-time Emmy winner. He has a son and a grandson with autism, is really involved and active, especially in Southern California. He was really gracious and typed, uh, taped one. Um, Eastside Morales, a big actor, he was in La Bamba and NYPD Blue and all different kinds of television shows, Criminal Minds this last season. Um, he did one, a comedian named Brad Stein. Uh, we're going to have a new one this week from Denise Graves. Denise is one of the foremost mezzo-sopranos in the world. Um, she's doing one. This is an issue that everybody is concerned about because you either have a loved one who has the disability or you just... Uh, a human being who cares and help your fellow humans out that have a problem that you are just fortunate enough not to have to have. Um, and it does take anybody that's involved in this kind of work knows it takes all of us working together to affect change. If we're going to do it more than for one person, uh, you and your work, you have, it's not just you, it's you, it's Charlie, it's Joseph, it's Lynn, it's all kinds of people working together to affect change. And that's what we're doing here. And, but we need people's help in the broader community to help us go here. The motivation for people we think uh, to help us here in Nashville, even if they don't live here, is that our model can be replicated in other cities. And that's the exciting part. So if there's anybody out there that in their own city wants to do a friendship house and wants to uh, put uh, friends alongside divinity school or synagogue school, or those are usually the ones that are the most uh advantageous to work with because when they go out after they finish their studies and they work with a congregation, they're able to embrace fully everyone in their congregation. So it really is a change agent long term. So uh, this campaign we're running, we're hoping that people can support, whether it's in, you know, here from Nashville, here in Middle Tennessee, or wherever they might be in the country. You know, if I'm a neurodiverse individual, and I don't live in Nashville, and I need housing assistance, what advice would you have for me, not in Nashville? Not in Nashville? I'd have to know what the city is, 
once uh, I knew the city. Um, there's usually a handful of nonprofits that work with disability. And if you talk to the executive directors of those organizations, if you get to one or two of the right ones, you can identify the major players in the city. Those major players are going to know who works with affordable housing. And if there is anybody in the city who provides affordable housing for people with disabilities, um, some cities are amazing. Uh, a lot of cities especially, I mean, if I had an intellectual disability, I, I would want to live in California. Uh, California has amazing benefits. Um, Tennessee, not so much. Um, it really varies from state to state, from city to city. Um, so the best place to start is to work with uh, the other nonprofit uh, leaders in town to identify what's what so you can get a, a lay, you know, a sense of landscape. And for setting up a friendship house, uh, there really does need to be a university that gives you, especially it has to have graduate students, undergraduates are too young, um, but there have to be graduate students that uh, provide you with a, a pipeline ongoing that's not going to disappear anytime soon. So it gives you longevity. What do you offer the, um, the graduate student who's, who might move into your complex? They get affordable housing. Uh, students are just as poor as people with intellectual disabilities. I mean, none of them are walking rich people. And uh, you have to qualify, depending upon the funding of the physical building, you have to be at 80% or lower of median income or sometimes as low as 60% or lower of median income. For our current friendship house, that means that you have to make um, at least $22,000 to qualify, but you may not make more than $26,800. If you make less than $22,000, you can still live there, but you have to have somebody co-sign the lease, and usually the parents are willing to do that. Um, for our next house, we were just talking with our partners this morning, and uh, we don't have the exact uh, rent figure yet, but I can tell you that one of the Divinity School students right this minute is renting one room in a house nearby where the next house will be for $800 a month, and our rent will likely be $560. So big difference. You get your own private apartment, and that's $560, and this fellow's paying $800 for one room. That's a big incentive. How many people do you serve in your housing at this time? Um, right now, we have in our first house eight students and three friends. In our second house, it's going to be about double the size. We'll have uh, space for 20 people. Um, we don't know exactly how that will balance out. It might be 14 students and six friends. It might be 13 and seven. It will really depend on what the needs are of the friends. So we'll have to see who ends up being there and then figure out how, how that parses out. Uh, we have 38 people on our waiting list right now, and we're working with about 285 families. Wow, it's a lot of families. Now, uh, to your knowledge, how many of these initiatives are going on around the country? Not as many as there need to be. I mean, that's, that sounds like a flippant answer. I don't mean it flippantly. I don't have a clue. We are the only ones doing this in Middle Tennessee. You would think with our population that there would be more. Um, there is no exact similar group to what we're doing. 
um, and the services that we provide, but there are some organizations provide this service, but housing is usually something that just doesn't get the attention that it needs. And unless you're extremely rich or extremely poor, if you're anybody in the middle, which is most of us, you're on your own. And a lot of people with IDDs cannot live fully independently. Um, they need some support, but they need friendship and they need jobs. They need all these other things, which is why this model works. But the, the services just aren't there in most cities. It's a big problem for most families in our, in our national IDD community. Well, certainly. And, you know, uh, we all forget that the children all turn into adults and the adults get older. I've got, we've got one man on our waiting list. He's 55. Uh, the parents are 80 and 85. Uh, I learned after working with them for a few months, he's not even their biological child. He's their foster son. Um, that's awfully old to still be the primary care caretaker. Um, we have another man who's 45 with a traumatic brain injury. I mean, it's just the parents are getting old. The parents are tired. Um, and it costs a lot of money. So it's a, it's a conundrum. It's a big problem that we collectively need to address. And with the, the incidence of autism being higher all the time or with it being diagnosed more, whatever the reasons are behind that, that community is aging. And we're going to be in big trouble as a society if we don't pay attention to this collectively because the problem it's a problem. Affordable housing for this community is a problem. And it's a fragile population. It needs attention. And God willing, we'll be doing that on a, on a better basis. The government alone can't fix it, though. It's something that we have to fix ourselves, I think. What was your first exposure, Carolyn, to neurodiversity? Um, like you said, we're all, we all are, are, are different. Um, but I personally have a very, very close friend who, uh, whose husband uh, left her when she was six months pregnant with their third child. And their second child had severe special needs. He had Down syndrome and uh, had a dual diagnosis with autism. Um, he got potty trained, I think, by about the time he was 19. He's still nonverbal. Um, he has significant challenges. And I love this boy. Or now I love this man. Um, he's 21 now. And uh, he lives in a terrific place in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She had to have him move to a different place when he was 13 because he started to outweigh her. And you can't physically care for somebody if they weigh more than you do. Um, so she, she, she was there specifically to, because they had good services in Orange County, North Carolina. Um, but that's how I got familiar with this community. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to tell us about the Nashville IDD housing group? Um, I think that the, there's just one thing, and that is for people who have had not had the privilege of working with people who are neurodiverse, uh, they need to try to fix that, and they need to uh, get smarter. And the easiest way to get smarter is to ask questions. And one thing I have found is that people who are smarter than myself, which is most everybody when it comes to neurodiversity, if you ask a question, you'll get an answer. Um, and if your question's a little bit on the stupid side, it doesn't matter because you're trying to get smart. 
And I have not yet met a person who's not willing to help hold my hand to help me do my work better. And I think other people who are in my same boat that were kind of ignorant because we don't live with with somebody with an IDD, um, it's on us to try to get smarter and to ask questions. And I've not ever met a parent who's not willing to help somebody who's trying to learn more. And there's no way that we can help embrace folks unless we know more. And you can't know more unless you open your mouth and ask questions because just staring at somebody or assuming that somebody's weird um, is just not very smart. We need to get, we need to ask questions so that we can understand. And when we do understand, then we can behave in a way that makes it easier for them to interact with us. So it's on us to get smarter. I think that's what I'd like to say. We need to do that here in Nashville. You need to do it in Fort Lauderdale. People need to do it everywhere. Um, how have the companies been in responding to the employment needs? Absolutely phenomenal. Um, we have yet to meet an employer who's not willing to talk um, from restaurants to our local baseball team, a triple A team, uh, the Nashville sounds, they had jobs in concessions and ticket taking. Um, uh, doing tickets is like a job so many people can do because so many have worked in grocery stores with barcodes. They can do the ticket taking like nobody's business. And if they're social, they have a lot of fun while they're at it. Um, we have people working at Best Buy. We have somebody else that works um, at Barnes and Noble. Um, they, some people work in offices. Somebody works at Children's Hospital. Uh, all different kinds of jobs. But mostly jobs can either be cobbled together. I mean, all you have to do is walk into somebody's place of business and you can figure out in a, pretty quickly, can a job be cobbled together from a little bit of everybody else's job? Um, that frees them up to do other work, um, that's possible. Um, or they have a job that the person can be competitively hired for. There's a lot of positions that people can uh, just go straight through the system and get hired for. They might need a job coach to help them, you know, get acclimated. Um, but that's, that's no problem. Usually the only thing that, that the outsider like us needs to do is to make sure that people on staff um, understand what disability is and how that might evidence itself. And that's really on us to explain because they might not have had exposure. So maybe somebody needs to be reminded that when their five-minute break is up, their five-minute break is up. Um, and other people don't get reminders. Um, there's little tiny things that some folks in our community need to make sure that they're doing the job, but there are minor modifications. And it's not very hard for an employer to accommodate the modifications that they may or may not need to make. Well, Carolyn, you've, you're really doing a great job there in Nashville. And I want to thank you for being here with us on Exploring Different Brains. And how do people learn more about you or get in touch with you? Uh, we have a website at... Um, NashvilleIDDHousing.org. We're on uh, Facebook with basically the same address, facebook.com slash NashvilleIDDHousing. We're on Twitter. Our Twitter uh, ID is at IDDHousing. So those are the three probably best ways. And then people can reach me via email. 
uh, with my name, which is carolyn.nafi, N as in Nancy, A-I, F as in Frank, E-H, at nashvilleiddhousing.org. Well, that's great. Carolyn, thank you very much. Keep up the great work you're doing for, for all of us, for everybody. And I uh, hope to see you in person sometime. Thank you so much for your support, Hacky. We really appreciate it here. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you. Bye. We've been we're speaking with Carolyn Nafee, who has the Nashville IDD Housing Group. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.